Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who thinks they should reboot The Andy Griffith Show with modern police technology, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is someone I have huge admiration for, Barry Friedman, the director of the Policing Project at New York University School of Law. The project partners with communities and police departments to encourage law enforcement to be more accountable and ethical before something goes wrong. Barry, welcome to Recode Decode. Super to be here. Thank you. One of the things I want to say about you, you were very early to this concept of technology and policing, which I think has become ever more important. You know, I've been interviewing a lot of facial recognition. I talked to Andy Jassy of recognition at Amazon. Um, And one of the things, you know, when I was reading a lot of stuff, you were very early on talking about the possible problems. I wanted to—there was a a quote by you that was— years and years and years ago discussing the, the the intersection of technology with policing and conceptual ideas around it. So why don't you give people your background of how you got to this policing project at NYU? Sure. Uh, I wrote a book called Unwarranted, Policing mm-hmm. Without Permission. And, uh, Which you worked on for eight years? A uh, very long time. I right. Light bulb so how did you get on it? Like your, your background background is you are— I'm a constitutional law professor. Right. And I've taught policing and Fourth Amendment for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right after Mm -hmm. 9-11, everybody was running around saying we have to restrict our liberties. And as a Fourth Amendment scholar, I thought they're pretty restricted already. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I would talk to people about it, and they would be surprised of the restrictions. Because they said now, now, because of this, what what had happened with terrorism, because it's so deeply linked to terrorism and worries about it. So linked. So I wanted to write about it, and then I didn't know exactly what to say except to complain about the Supreme Court. And then Mm -hmm. a light bulb went off in my head in 2006 Mm -hmm. when I realized I was teaching constitutional law and criminal procedure. And I thought, isn't it strange that all of our constitutional rules don't apply when the police are involved? That Mm -hmm. seems weird to me. And that was the light bulb that led to writing the book. And while I was writing the book, uh, Snowden happened and then Ferguson. And I thought, boy— these ideas that I'm writing about have an application in the world. Let's try to see if we can. We'll talk about the change. Snowden thing because yeah. I think people don't realize the impact that had, especially the relationship between technology and government, technology companies and government, and the concept of what was actually happening. Yeah, you know, I think I was as startled as everybody when that news broke. I mean, we've got uh, Brad Smith from Microsoft with us today, yes. and he talks about I that. Did a in great his podcast own book. with him. Yeah, yeah, he's he's terrific, and and. Um, you know, I didn't know whether what the government was doing was right or wrong from a, an efficacy standpoint. Is this going to keep us safe? Mm-hmm. But I was outraged at the notion that they had done all of this without 
going through what I thought were proper democratic channels, which is you get permission from Congress, uh, you you get some buy-in, and then and then you do it. People get to decide, and I was I was just furious, and that was the moment when I thought because again my book was unwarranted policing without permission. The whole concept of the book is. Before the police act, they ought to have democratic legitimacy, just like all the rest of government. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't think about the police that way, but that was the insight. Sure. And so Snowden happened, and I thought, you know, I'd really like to get into the world and see if we can't get people to think about policing. And by policing, I mean everything from your local PD all the way up to the NSA, mm-hmm. who's, anybody who's doing surveillance of, of American uh, folks. Let's try to get a handle on front-end accountability around all this. Sure. So you had the the, the, the Snowden revelations, which were that the government was uh, spying quite hopiously, especially on tech companies um, through PRISM and other, other formats, and that and, you know, I, st- I just recently interviewed someone from the government. They were like, he's still a traitor. He's still a, you know, the concept of he's making us less safe, um, so, which was, I think, the government's argument that we had to do this because. Yeah, you know, so one of the questions that we we're really interested in, and in fact, we're running a series of salons and gatherings over this semester and next to talk about is the tension between secrecy and transparency. Mm-hmm. You always get the story. We can't tell you about this because then the bad guys will know and they'll evade it. So that was true of, you know, whether it's Stingray cell Mm -hmm. site simulators or whether it's X-ray vans traveling around New York City. We try really hard at the policing project, and I think it's my personality to want to be sane about all this. I want to be safe. I I watch the towers fall. Mm -hmm. I have small kids. But we have to be realistic about what's really required to keep us safe. And I, I come at this with a fair amount of skepticism that we can't tell people something Mm-hmm. maybe a lot, and still not step on sort of operational concerns that are going to make us all unsafe. Well, I thought, fast-forwarding just to the encryption battle that Apple had then with uh, the government, it was what was fascinating to me, two things were fascinating to me, was one, that you have Jim Comey pushing this, and also Barack Obama, I had an interview with him where he suddenly became in that camp, which was surprising because he hadn't been. And then you had people uh, like Ash Carter, the Defense Department, who's like, no. Like, it was it was interesting, the, the, the fracture within government over these issues. And then the overall issue was if they don't have other means of surveillance or intelligence beyond cracking this phone, we're in big, bigger trouble. You know, yeah. if, if the phone is the reason you can't figure out why these people were radicalized— you must have other tools. You must have other ways to track radical behavior around this country. And so I was sort of struck by that. And, and there was no particularly good answer. But what was interesting is Apple didn't back down and certain companies didn't back down on these things. Talk about that instance because that was another flashpoint, a, a public flashpoint at least. Yeah, and it's, it's a hard issue. I mean, I think we'd be naive to think that it's not a difficult issue. Mm-hmm. But the problem is in, around policing technologies, we're not very rational. We're not very sane. So one of the things that the policing project that we advocate for is serious cost-benefit analysis to figure out, you know, whether what people are saying is true. So we don't have, you don't have very good empirical evidence to know how much of a threat that they can't crack these iPhones is, right? We mm-hmm. have to assume there are alternative means of doing things. Right. Uh, you know, even after Snowden, I remember the government would testify to Congress that they needed X and every time, and then they'd always pull out like child pornography was the was, mm-hmm. uh, was always the big case for a terrorist. And on Twitter, everybody would take apart their case and point mm-hmm. out that they knew it three different ways. And so right. I think that the issue is we have to, to be pragmatic and realistic and say, what is the problem exactly? Are we sure we can't solve it another way? And in encryption in particular, and I think you see this in a number of places, it's a two-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are plenty of people that feel that without encryption, we're all going to be less safe, actually. Right, absolutely. Right. And Which so that's, the, Apple, the idea is that we're protecting a bigger thing, a bigger 
our privacy in. in the time. NSA ends up getting hacked, right? Right, and exactly. So, right. right. So you have the these two flashpoints, especially Snowden, and you move forward with the concepts. Talk a little bit about some of the concepts in your book that, that, that you were discussing. Sure. So— uh, the whole idea, the central idea, is that government runs through what we call front-end accountability, or in the book I call democratic policing. And mm-hmm. the principles are going to seem, duh, familiar to you. So there ought to be rules. They ought to be transparent. The public ought to have a voice in formulating the rules. The rules should f- follow from some sort of cost-benefit analysis to make sure they make sense. That's how we run government. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to policing, all of it, from, again, the local PD up to the NSA— We don't do that. We focus when we talk about accountability on back-end accountability. So Mm -hmm. we're all about special monitors or civilian review boards or courts throwing out evidence. Or even if you think about it, body cameras are a form of back-end accountability. Mm -hmm. Something bad happened. Let's see if we can't figure out who's responsible. And the idea of the book is that's a terrible system for regulating Mm -hmm. everything. And and we all know it doesn't work. Because you're just monitoring abuses. This is how you have the problems of hate speech online because you're— meeting the end part rather than the begin, the architecture of it. Yeah, and in fact, I was listening to one of your podcasts that talked about this. Without a good front end, you can't make the back end work anyway. Like, mm-hmm. unless you have oh, it's impossible. Clear, it becomes impossible. Right, no clear rules. You can't hold anybody accountable. And so that was the flash that, you know, let's let's try to bring regular government to policing. And those, mm-hmm. are, those are the concepts that we use. We use so them. talk about what that means. What is regular government to policing? Yeah, it means that, uh, let's start with transparency, mm-hmm. right? So... It's like the bedrock thing in government is transparency, uh, but it's not the bedrock thing in policing. We're going to put up a thing on our website called the Manuals Initiative in a while where we've ranked police departments on whether they've simply made their manuals available in a form that people can actually search them and find things. Mm-hmm. And some departments do just fine, but tons of them are like right across the line. You just you don't know what their basic policies are. So mm-hmm. how, how can you have a voice in something if you don't even know what the thing is? Mm-hmm. You go from there to voice. You know, you have a problem with zoning, you go to the zoning board. You have a problem with schools, you go to the school board. You have a problem with the police, tell me where you go. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't have a place to go. And legislatures are terrified to regulate the police because they don't want to be the ones responsible for something going wrong or dealing with the police unions. Mm-hmm. And so we have this void. We don't have a place where the public can just speak up and say, this is what I want policing to look like. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our work is trying to develop mechanisms. Uh, and we work with with everybody in, in the in the field, so local advocates, with police departments, with activists, uh, to try to figure out how can we get the public's voice into policing. Why has that not been there? Because of the safety issues. And I, I want to get to technology. That's where I really want to focus. I was wondering. Yeah, no, I'm going to get it. But why has that happened? I want to set the table. I'm setting the table here. Yeah, okay. Um, you know— Because it becomes quantumly more a problem when technology is applied to it. That's why. Quantumly more. Um, that's exactly the right word. So it's actually kind of a historical hangover, and mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, but it's a funny one. So— we have police. They emerge in the late uh, 19th century, in the late 1800s, and uh, they're famously corrupt. Right. Right. They're on the take. They're working with Tammany Hall with the machine. And so we got to do something to deal with the corruption. And the idea was we're going to make them autonomous. Mm-hmm. We're going to make them professional and mil- militarized kind of mm-hmm. discipline, and they're going right. to be autonomous from politics. Right. And then— I mean, at some level, I could just end the story right there. We made them autonomous for politics, mm-hmm. and we've never recovered from that moment, and we've never sort of figured so out a way to— blame to... Teddy Roosevelt, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's blame Teddy Roosevelt for everything. <laughs> I hate to blame Teddy. Um, and, and so, you know, you get the, the system of accountability around policing at the federal level, too, but, you know, sort of the, in everybody's local PD is there's a mayor who hires and fires a chief, and that's the end of it. And if you think about it, it's a ridiculous system. And what happens is police chiefs start to be like NBA coaches. They hold their jobs for two, three years. There's no way to affect 
sensible reform and change. There's no way for the public to have a voice in how that PD is operating. People can't even tell you whether their PD is any good or bad. We, right. We're working on a project to try to metricize that, to figure mm-hmm. out a way. To, we call it a health check to figure out whether police departments are healthy or not. What do you base that on? Uh, we have a long list of, of things that we care about, some of which you know are obvious to you, like how many people are being don't stopped. Don't kill people. Right. Don't kill people. How many people are being stopped? Is, is it wildly racially disparate? To things you wouldn't think about because they're kind of geeky but super important, mm-hmm. like how many patrol officers are reporting to a sergeant? You know, mm-hmm. in, in, in some places it's a small ratio, and then you go to Chicago before the federal government went in and investigated, and it was this huge range, and so nobody can be supervised that way. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a combination of all of that. All right, now I'm going to get to data, because why don't we have uh, first, first data about police, and then we'll talk about the technology tools in the next part uh, that they're starting to be able to use, and, the, and I want you to sort of rank them eventually. So why don't we have data? Just We just don't... We don't, uh, and I'm I'm going to ascribe that. So we have a ton of data about the military. We have a ton of data about similar organizations. Yeah, and we can agree. By the way, I'm sure we do agree that you can't understand anything or fix anything unless you have data. Like it's right. it's a joke, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess I came at this the way most people cynically come at it, which is they say, "Well, the police don't want to tell us anything," mm-hmm. uh, and I I assumed the same was true. In reality, once you get close to the situation, I think there are two very specific problems. The first is. The police departments are operating on, like, old legacy technology. Mm -hmm. They can't tell you. Mm -hmm. It's not that they've got a secret. They don't know. And I think that's a huge national agenda item, which is how do we get the tech companies to help the police departments to gather data so that we can actually figure out if we're keeping ourselves safe. Very much like healthcare. There's a couple of areas that is is paper-oriented. Right, exactly. Which police is one of them, for sure. Then the other problem with policing, which is, you know, a little bit unique to policing, is our federal system of government. So Mm -hmm. every hamlet and village in America is its own police department, Mm -hmm. and there's no structure over that that governs. And Mm so, you know, DOJ tries to do things by cajoling and offering grants, if you will, like, just tell us how many people you killed, Mm -hmm. which we can't even figure that out. And, I mean, James Comey was startled when he learned Mm -hmm. that he couldn't answer that question after Ferguson. But there's not much will in the federal government to do this. We're Mm -hmm. working on a white paper for what a new administration Because they're all localized. They're all, this gets important later when they're buying technology. They're all localized in terms of what they're going to do. And then you have state police on top of that, which is a different, typically a different organization. Right. Different is the important word yeah. because they are not, it's not like it's hierarchical where the right. local PD and the, they're all completely separate. We, you know, people don't even know how many police departments we have in the country, but the mm-hmm. number that gets bandied about is 18,000. Mm-hmm. So, so try to effect reform about something when you've got 18,000 independent entities operating, many of which are woefully under-resourced. And are not on any national data system. Yes, there's no national data system. Right. I mean, I was just listening to She'll Be, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, and what was fascinating to me was how disorganized, like they probably could have caught this guy if there was more coordination among the disparate police, and it was, that was literally every third sentence, like, they didn't know what was going on up in Santa Rosa, or when I was like, why didn't they know what was going on? And it was fascinating, and that seems to be the case with not just criminal data, but the movement of police themselves. And, you know, we're going to get to this later, obviously, but there's a, there is a tension here because mm-hmm. on the one hand, I think police and policing and this whole field are starved for data. I mean, there's just a list of things we don't know about that mm-hmm. we really should. And on the other hand, if they have too much data and there's too much sharing, then we have real risks about being yeah. able to track us and whatnot. And absolutely. Yeah. And we'll get to that because they're the driver's license databases and, and DNA. We'll yeah. get to absolutely. But so right now, the data on police is poor. Yeah, that's that would be an understatement. Are there any solutions being pushed forward on that? There is no initiative of any sort. There, the Obama administration had an open data initiative, mm-hmm. which they was, did. you know, please put your data up. Right. 
that's optimistic. Mm-hmm. And I think departments in part were embarrassed to participate because of the quality of their data. I'll tell you a story that, that actually blew my mind. So early on in all of this work, very concerned about the racialized nature of pedestrian and, mm-hmm. and, and whatever stops, and wanted to collect data about it. I just was curious to see what it looked like. And we're thinking, where could we get data? Mm-hmm. So one place we could get data was that there were departments that were either operating on con- under consent decrees or some of the states had laws that required right. keeping data. And we just called them up and said, mm-hmm. can we have the data? And some departments were, sure, we'd be glad to share it. What's your fax number? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's always what's your fax What's your fax? No, I thought, no, you've got to be kidding me. Right. You can email it to me yeah, yeah. or something like that. So it is in pieces. I just recently did an, uh, a podcast with an arc, uh, someone who does agriculture data. Same thing. Yeah. Very much this stuff, how we grow things, where we grow things, and when you can replicate things. It's just not, it's all on paper. Yeah. or and, and globally, it gets even more complex. And it can be done in a, a smart way. So we don't have how they're behaving, how they're performing, anything else. Right. And there's no initiative to do this. There's not. I mean, I, you know, I, I spend Besides a lot of time— Besides Barry at NYU. <laughs> I call in people for their facts. <laughs> the Barry Initiative. We, you know, we <laughs> talk to tech companies, and I, I say this all the time, and I keep wishing that, like, a light bulb would go off with it's one of them. It's a business opportunity. It is a business opportunity, and right. you need to run into the market. And there are companies that, that work on parts of this. There's Mark 43, which is a, a company we partner with that does records management systems and mm-hmm. computerized dispatch records, uh, and they're really trying to make headway. I think they're they're one of the best. But there has been this overall just neglect uh, to try to figure out. And, and by the way, I'll just make the point. So there's 18,000 departments, each in their own silo. It would be great to even know what was going on inside the silo. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we could actually know things from silo to silo, mm-hmm. if we could have a sense of a picture of a whole state uh, mm-hmm. and what was going on. I think we would really learn some things about what works? If you yes. allow me one more word, sure. the you know, I came into policing like a lot of people do, just worried about the the arrests and the mm-hmm. stops and the shootings and all of that. But the closer I got to it, and this is where all my scholarship is now, it's about policing itself. Mm-hmm. And when you get close to real policing, you realize how little the police actually know or have a concept of how to keep us safe, mm-hmm. of what to do, which is why. Works. Yeah, what works? Mm-hmm. What's a strategy? What's an attempt? Now, we're seeing predictive policing, which is its own problem. We're going to get to that yeah. next. Um, so in terms of that, what would you recommend that they keep? Because it seems like they probably buy off-the-shelf software if they're using anything, or it's not, even if they're, if not, it's just paper. Yeah, well, I mean, they do have software, and I don't, you know, this is like mm-hmm. municipal, uh, you need to interview people from mm-hmm. municipal data mm-hmm. centers, but they have legacy systems. They don't talk to each other, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got one system that's noticing what the police are doing kind of in their work days, and you've got another system that's booking, who's been booked, and you have systems that figure out outcomes. So, like, one thing you might want to know is if you're arresting a bunch of people, what's the downstream effect? Like how mm-hmm. many of those cases get dismissed? Right. Are people recidivists? And even getting that kind of data is incredibly difficult. Yeah. And then, then what to do, because it gives you tips on how to police better. But it, what, Kamala Harris did something in San Francisco where they were noticing the school behavior was indicative of later criminal. It was really interesting, like keeping people in schools keeping and how to keep people and people who, kids that didn't, that missed school more, and they started to track those which were linked to. It was really interesting. It was, yeah. and then they would put, place prosecutors with school officials so that it had they missing school became a became a focus, which was interesting. It was controversial for sure. It's important. My colleague Ann Milgram is doing this with health data. Mm-hmm. You know, who, who are the frequent flyers in the in the healthcare system, and do they relate to the people in the criminal system? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of one of the huge problems we face as a country is that we have criminalized a lot of things that 
the criminal law is just no answer for. So whether it's substance abuse, homelessness, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to fix that with the criminal law. Domestic violence, I mean, mm-hmm. domestic violence, there is a role for the criminal law for sure. But when you look at the data, uh, and I have been staring at the data, the chronicity of this, you know, the many the times that the police are called 10 times to the same house, well, I mean, that is just bizarre. Mm-hmm. And that is a failure of, again, correlating data, trying to understand a holistic way to solve these problems. Right. All right. We're here with Barry Friedman. He's the director of the Policing Project at NYU. We're going to take a quick break now. When we be back, we're going to talk about predictive policing, about facial recognition software, and all kinds of data and transparency issues that police have to be paying attention to in the future. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're here with Barry Friedman. He's the director of the Policing Project at NYU. Barry's written a very important book about policing and and data and technology. Talk about sort of the big issues. We're talking about the lack of data about police themselves, but the uses of technology. Sort of stack rank the the least troublesome to the troublesome of what they're using now. Um, Body cameras, I guess, would be at the— Well, well, you know— it's an interesting place to start mm-hmm. because you think, well, body cameras are good. I mean, we got those for good. We got those to hold police accountable. Right. But as you know from the work we've done on the Axon AI Ethics Board, mm-hmm. the next story was, well, we're going to put facial recognition on body right. cameras. Talk about what the Axon Board was. It was to Axon was the maker of a lot of these uh, videos that are on police. That are yeah. Axon is the largest manufacturer of police body cameras. They also were formerly known as Taser International, and they make tasers. Mm-hmm. And they approached us. Uh, I can't even remember now how long ago, and they had this idea of putting together a board, mm-hmm. an ethics board. Uh, and we actually pitched them on something back that they did not do, but that I think we ultimately need in, in, in the country, which is something like underwriters labs for mm-hmm. police technologies that right. certifies the ethical uh, compliance that would be with a police great technology. Idea. I've love to work with somebody to make that happen because I actually think that's what we need. I, mm-hmm. You know, in the absence of Facebook really— needs to look good, but go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can find you some money. I would love you to find me some money because I do think Many that, people need to go through the washing machine of cleanliness, but go ahead. <laughs> it's true. Take um, their dirty money and— uh, so, And turn it to good. So Axon said, you know, we're going to stand up this ethics board. And I had some skepticism, mm-hmm. a, a lot perhaps, but I was intrigued by the idea of being able to sit with the vendors and think about the products that they make. At the Policing Project, when we think about policing technology out of control, what we've tried to do is find the fulcrum or the pressure point where we can have an impact, whether it's police departments or procurement in cities. Mm -hmm. And one of them is tech companies because tech companies are the ones producing the goods. Mm -hmm. They could design them in certain ways that would make them better for society. They could 
make products rather than platforms so that they had some control over what their downstream users are doing. Mm -hmm. So we were intrigued. Mm -hmm. uh, and we agreed to be on the ethics board. There were a number of people from the civil liberties community that wanted to stay away. They didn't want to get that close to a tech company. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to sign an NDA. But we did. We jumped in. And, uh, and now the policing project actually staffs the ethics board. And we have released exactly one report, which you have seen. And mm -hmm. it, it really, I think, was groundbreaking in the sense that we and it's a, I could talk about who the we is, but mm -hmm. there are 11 of us on the board right now. Talk about who the we is. Uh, really. Yeah, the we is a really diverse group of uh, police officials, mm -hmm. of sort of national advocates, mm -hmm. of tech experts. Uh, we have one person right now from affected community, but we're bringing on a couple others. Mm -hmm. uh, we have struggled to make it as diverse as we possibly can in every way. I have been really struck by the consensus in the room around things, and we look for that consensus. And our first report... I, you know, I basically think did two things. First is it laid out a methodology for how to think about policing technologies and, and what we need out of them. Uh, and the second thing that it did was it, it strongly recommended that Axon not put facial recognition on body cameras. And then we felt that nobody should put facial recognition on body cameras. Mm -hmm. And Axon has agreed to that. And All right. So that was pretty great. All right. So uh, body cameras themselves as a thing is just they take pictures and that, and that they're supposed – the idea was accountability so we could see what they did. Not that anyone cares sometimes. That's what's really fascinating. Yeah. And people also, you know, probably the biggest problem around those would be either they break or police meddle with them so they can get rid of the thing or people don't um, have the ability to manipulate those images in some fashion. That, that's sort of the yeah. forest fetch thing. But it's there. You know, you could look at deep fakes. You never know yes. what, what people you, could do you with could. the data. There's a, there's a lot of control over that. And, of course, you. the last part of those are people see them and it doesn't matter. Even if you see all those terrible videos that have gone up with these body cameras, people are like, ugh. They just, you know, people see what they want to see in those kind of things. And that's just humanity, essentially. Yeah, I mean, that's the broken back-end system that we <laughs> were talking about. Yeah. And I think that that's true. But we, you know, one project we did with the L.A. Police Commission and the LAPD was just to figure out what's the rule for when to release the video after mm -hmm. there's been an officer-involved shooting. Very right. controversial issue. Body camera's not very valuable if you don't get to see what happened. Mm -hmm. And the end result of that was a rule that the LAPD put in place that now is the law of the state of California about releasing videos. So, so. why would they? Why would that be an argument? Because they didn't want to release it to the public. They just say, we are looking at it, so that's good enough. Right. Right. And there's union pressures to not release it. Prosecutors feel like it shouldn't be released until mm -hmm. they've made a charging decision. But, you know, in L.A., it would take them three years to make a, a charging a, decision. It could, could, could mess up the jury system and things like could. that. But in general, you feel that, that the cameras are a good thing on police. And how, how widespread are they right now? They're very widespread, and they're going to be much more widespread. And I'm ambivalent about whether they're a good thing. I, I think in theory they're a good thing, and I think they are going to become a norm. Mm -hmm. I think the minute we start putting surveillance on those cameras, it's going to be a disaster. All right, we're going to get to the facial surveillance. And yeah. even now, you know, if you think about it, that camera on the cop is, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just holding up my hands here, right. aim at you, is aimed at you. It's not right. aimed at the cop. And right. so a lot of the use of those cameras quickly becomes evidence in right. criminal proceedings. So, uh -huh. you know, the promise of the cameras, the hope of the cameras was with a camera watching, people will calm down. They'll mm -hmm. have lower use of force on both sides. Right. Transactions will be more civil. And the, the data is just really mixed on that. And we it have is. spent a king's There was a really on. interesting thing I saw that California Sunday Magazine did a voice. They did a lot of voice taping of, of stops and things like that on top of it. I think it's separate. There might be a separate voice. Anyway, how people, how police talk to people during traffic stops. And what was really interesting was the diff, they, then they did word clouds and the way they talk to people of color 
color versus pe- white people was a st- and they put it together and you're like what this like, is Jennifer Eberhardt's work yeah. from Stanford amazing. she's terrific and amazing yeah, yeah, like yeah. you sort of were like well I expected it but seeing it was really even more yeah. profound I did not expect it not to be the results that but that's great right yeah. I mean that's a possibility for actually changing things yeah. because we have a way to look. Yeah. I don't think I'm the one they want to convince. No, <laughs> but I, in any case, <laughs> I, I believe that's probably true. So um, so you have the, the cameras. So, But they're going to be everywhere. They're going to be... Cameras will be everywhere. Everywhere. And they're getting more sophisticated. Yes. Um, and smaller and more prevalent. Do you ever see cameras looking back at police? No. No. It will always be from the police perspective it's, out. It's difficult to... I mean, we do... You know, there have been incidents where cops have said X happened and there was a tower that right. had a camera on it, or there was the, you know, barbershop that had a mm-hmm. camera out in front. And so, I mean... Right. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Now, there's cameras everywhere. First of all, uh, we're, there's way too many of them in the cities, and we're going to get to that many, next. Yeah. Um, and then there's people's handheld. Uh, yeah. Everybody has a camera in their phone. So, how has that impacted it in terms of how people think about it? Because everyone has a camera up, and you always end up getting a shot of something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's affected cops a lot, yeah. you know, and uh, some for the good and some for the bad. They like don't like them up, I'll tell you no, that. No, no, they don't. And, and I think it took a long time for the police to understand that they had to just back off and let people do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I think what they'll say is that they won't do certain things that maybe they feel that they should do because they're being watched. And well, they Eric don't wanna, Garner was, was a good example. You don't want to be the next video, right? And I get right. that. And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm sympathetic to cops. I understand that that is a concern. Uh, on the other hand, there are public servants out on the street. We should mm-hmm. be perfectly aware of what they're doing. What's unfortunate is that, again, the data thing, we don't figure out how to aggregate all this and learn from it. Like, one of the best uses from cameras could be training, mm-hmm. right? Like, Which is, look what you just did. Yeah, and in a way, not in a, in a blaming, we're going to discipline you way, which is a problem with policing in America, which is that we're always looking to slap somebody for something. Mm-hmm. But in a, you know, how we do kind of sentinel review in other fields, whether it's aviation or medicine, mm-hmm. do rounds, where you sit there and you say, I had this tough case, this has happened, and people sit around and say, you know, you could have handled that better, you could have done this, did you think about doing that? Mm-hmm. And so I, I really wish that we'd get to that point of being of we and policing being less defensive and being able to learn to do this better. Right, but with cameras now, you know, we'll get into China in the last part, but there there are cameras everywhere. Everywhere. everywhere in the cities and in, in, on every corner and, and how you look. And then obviously people have cameras and then citizens have cameras like the rings and things like that that are always taking pictures yep. of something. So, again, one would imagine that's probably a good thing because you could see what, and then there's sensors everywhere, like, what uh, of what's going on. So, again, are you ambivalent or do you think this is... I mean, I think it's creepy. I, yeah. I, I uh, you know, I read Kai-Fu Lee's Superpowers book and he was mm-hmm. talking about, isn't it great? You can go to the grocery store and it knows who you are and the yeah. wine person comes running up to you to say, here's yeah. your favorite yeah. wine. And I, I thought, ugh, I, yeah. I, I do not want anybody to know who I am in the yeah. grocery in store. The grocery. Yeah. It's interesting. Sometimes I do. I, was, I had a thing where it, in Apple stores, when I, I spent a lot of money at Apple stores and I would like them to know when I come in, if I agree to it, of who I am so they can sort of lick me up and down versus <laughs> the, the teen over there sexting on there. I was like, he gets to... I want first access to the Apple 11, like rather than yeah, the, yeah. like they know who the customer. But you're right; it should be a, a consensual kind of relationship. But cameras are inevitable. This is where is the law on these the, all, all the different kinds of cameras? Yeah, I mean, I just want to say back to you what you just said to me. Where is the law? Mm-hmm. It is a great question. Where mm-hmm. is the law? There is mostly no law, mm-hmm. and ironically. Um, the law is a little perverse because it's way behind. So states have public records laws. So to extend their public cameras, even if we don't want the footage retained, there may be laws that make it difficult to get rid of the mm-hmm. of, of the footage. But we need law. That's what the policing project so is all it, about. So how does it, uh, in conjunction, because some of it is private stuff, 
So how does it constitutionally meet that test if people have them in front of their houses with rings? And we'll get into the bias part later because that's, you know, so obvious what happens so quickly, how it degenerates. Um, but what kind of law is there around these things that they're, they're allowed to be there and you do not consent, even though constitutionally you should be able to? Well, it's not, I mean, it's complicated. A yeah. lot of it is private, right? Mm-hmm. And so I can stick a camera in front of my house, I guess, and sure. everybody's doing that. I mean, Even if it's facing out into a public space. This is the ring thing, right? We've yeah. been, I've been reading stories like everybody else where uh-huh. ring has, has been, has working quietly with been working with police departments to share that footage. And mm-hmm. so, look, I think the whole thing's completely out of control. You know, my, my bottom line, if you want the bottom line, mm-hmm. is I, the only thing I haven't decided is whether to use an analogy of the, you know, trying to get the cows back in the barn or toothpaste back in the tube because mm-hmm. one of those is easier to do than the other and, and it worries me enormously. But there's no doubt but that this is all rushed way ahead of our capacity to protect our privacy, our First Amendment freedoms, racial bias, and we have got to just stop so right what, now and what, figure what, out what to well, do. Stopping is not going to happen. So what could happen from a legal point of view? Sure. So, I mean, I think what you do is you start to regulate. Mm-hmm. Start to put in place laws, policies for police departments that regulate data collection, data retention, data usage, data access. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. It's wildly complicated. But at some level, it's not unfamiliar. I mean, mm-hmm. we do know how to regulate things like this, and there are right. laws in other areas. We just have to start applying them. So here. it would be the taking of the pictures, the using of the pictures, and the keeping of the pictures that and, they that and, they have. Yes, and then and then the later use of the picture once they're kept, right, if you want. Right. So tracking kind of location tracking, tracking and whatnot. Yeah. So, and, but there's no laws in place. It's, it's disparate. Very few. And what around, around the policing themselves, what they can do with it? It's shocking. Yeah, that there's very little. Very regulation. little. There's a few states that have stepped in to try to do things. There are departments that, you know, some of them have policies that govern what they do. Some of them mm-hmm. don't even have policies. And their lives is that every day there's a new vendor showing up at their doorstep with a new shiny thing that says, look, isn't this cool on how you can spy on people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're working with police departments now because they are just, their heads are exploding. They're trying to figure out right. what should we acquire? Is the community going to go sure. crazy? It's like getting software, except it's quantumly more, again, diff- dangerous for yes, people. Exactly. Um, you know, should you use this software, Slack, or that's not the same exact thing. Like that's it's a, a lot like that, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. they're doing. So getting quickly then to, is facial recognition, which is sort of the new ugly situation on the block. Um, I just interviewed Andy Jassy from Amazon. It was just, uh, I found it a disturbing interview in terms of him saying, and I, I, I don't mean to paraphrase, but I like Andy Jassy a lot, but we're not responsible for the product, the people using it are, like essentially. And to me, architecting it wrong from the beginning means that your users might use it for in a way that you never anticipated. And my whole I drumbeat on this idea of not unanticipated consequences. You should be able to anticipate consequences and then architect it into the system at the beginning so it doesn't happen. So talk a little bit about facial recognition and where we are because I think people are justifiably scared of it. There's laws across the country that are – everybody has a different sort of approach to it. But I think everyone basically agrees that this could really be abused. You don't have to watch Black Mirror to know that. No, you, you are absolutely right. And so I'm just going to take you back to our very first mm-hmm. Axon mm-hmm. board meeting. I, I think I'm p- perfectly fine saying this, which is exactly that debate, which is that the Axon initial perspective was we make the products, we put them out there, people do with them what they will. And in fact, what the last thing that those customers 
customer being police department, want is to be told what to do with the product. Mm -hmm. And from the beginning, the board pushed back on that and said that's the wrong way to think about this Mm -hmm. two ways. First— We're just a platform. We're just a platform. Yeah, that's their favorite. And our view is, no, you're a product. You want to be a product, and Mm -hmm. you want to design it in a way that does limit what the customers do. You need to be responsible. And the second thing we have pushed them all to think about, and this is, for me, fundamental, is you think that your customer is a police department, but that's wrong. Your customer is the community that that department serves. And mm-hmm. when you start thinking about the customer as the community— Very good point. That's an excellent point, actually, yeah. I think it's profound at some yeah. level. It changes what you build, how you market it, how it's used, and that's how we all have to start thinking. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that how would this get abused? That should be the first thing. Because whenever I mention these on lots of products that they make in Silicon Valley, they're like— you know, you're a bummer. Like, there's all these good things. Like, we can do Chewbacca bomb, like, or whatever. I'm like, but yeah, you could, yeah, but, 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 you know, bullying, murder, things like that. So, can you get them to change that concept? Have you spent a lot of time with technology companies? We have spent a lot of time talking to folks. Rick Smith, the uh, CEO of Axon, came to the law school to present some of his book. It was fun. We even had a little protest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what were they protesting? Oh, the police cameras. We, he themselves. was there, and, the, and there were people from the NYPD, and mm-hmm. those folks shouldn't be on campus. Um, and I think it was a bit eye-opening for him because he and I then talked about a technology I can't mention uh, just yet, but you'll see in the fall. Mm-hmm. And his thinking had just changed 180 in the sense of thinking, what if we designed it this way to protect against that? Or what if we mm-hmm. designed it this way to protect against that? And he's better at it than I am. Mm-hmm. He's living in the technology world. And so I actually think that if we have a set of ethical things that we can specify that we care about, it is possible to design So what products. would those be? What would those be around they're, facial recognition? Sure. So their privacy, their racial bias, mm-hmm. their overcriminalization. We don't want the cameras to be, you know, nailing every jaywalker. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are interference with First Amendment freedoms. They're not rocket science here. Mm-hmm. Then there's auditing and compliance because I think that's one place where the tech can help us a lot, which is, you know, we were talking about paper and police mm-hmm. before, like the cops sitting there checking boxes off on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. But the tech doesn't need that. The tech can just tell us when it was used and who used it right. and where it was used. And so right. we ought to have automatic reporting from the tech to the community about where the tech's being used. For example, mm-hmm. the Electronic Freedom uh, Frontier, yeah. uh, whatever, EFF. EFF, thank you, did this really cool thing where they took license plate reader data mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they created heat maps to show you where in the city the license plate readers were being used. Mm-hmm. And predictably, they were being used in communities of color. Mm-hmm. Because that's where the cop cars were. Right. And so we should be able to see that and then react to it and say, is that is that Where what we, we want to put map? the police yeah, exactly. there? It was interesting because I was talking about AI is a very similar thing. If you put dirty data in, we'll get the dirty data in a minute. You're going to get dirty data. And then, by the way, black people are probably criminals. Let's put people in areas of uh, in African-American, poor African-American communities, and then we'll catch more people. Which, of course, you would catch more people. If you were in a, a different community, you might catch more people too, but you're not there. It was really, and I kept saying, if you put bad data in, you're going to make decisions based on bad data. So license plate readers are interesting, yeah, exactly. actually. So initially, they're designed to help us catch stolen cars. You know, you'll get a ping on your in your cop mm-hmm. car saying that license is a stolen car. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was a little weird. I mean, I don't know a lot about stealing cars, mm-hmm. but I would change the license. Exactly. After, right? Exactly. So we'd be really good criminals. There. <laughs> we need to get together and talk about that. So what happens is eventually they're not as useful for that. So we start to use them for a lot of other things including let's enforce outstanding parking tickets and outstanding warrants because somebody hasn't 
paid their parking ticket and mm-hmm. we have a crisis with outstanding warrants in this country. Well, I'm pretty confident that if you took those cop cars and put them in white neighborhoods, mm-hmm. there'd be plenty of people who haven't paid their parking tickets there, Karis right? Sure. So, yes, right. Yeah. Yes, yes, you're for sure. <laughs> Quiet. So, so, yes, you're exactly right. The instinct right. is right, which is that we need to focus on the technology and let us actually figure out how to police more fairly. Mm-hmm. All right. So with facial recognition, there's the states and cities across the country that are putting laws against police using them. Where are we with that? Because one of the things is, one, the technology companies seem to be putting out there without thinking of the ethics behind it and not, not wanting to think about it. Two, you have deployment with some using it wrong, you, you know, using products incorrectly. There was the ACLU test of faces of members of Congress, wrong, again, typically wrong, just using it wrong, and then the technology being flawed in terms of how it's deployed. And so a lot of cities are trying to not use it. Yeah, there's a push in cities not to right. use it. But, you know, I want to I just suggest that's a mistake too, mm-hmm. right? This, is, this pendulum just keeps flying back and forth and there right. has to be a middle. So right. technology has benefits and we should mm-hmm. be able to figure out what the benefits are. I'm going to give you an example of one in just a moment. But it has costs. I just went down a list of things we should care a lot about. Mm-hmm. And the trick, and this is what we think at the policing project, is that you need to look at the benefits, figure out what they are, then think about the costs and ask, can you minimize or eliminate those costs in a way that you get some benefits? Right. So, for example, let's say that you have a series of really serious muggings on mm-hmm. subway platforms and you can't get the person. But there's an image. Well, that image could lead you to the person that's doing that, and it might be that we want to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, we don't want to do that for jaywalking or selling a little bit of weed on the corner or mm-hmm. lots of other things, but we might want it for really serious crimes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is the lawyer in me, forgive me, right. uh, but that's what law exists to do, which is to say, here's some rules. Stack rank yeah, Exactly. Right. Right? Like, right. Let's figure out when we're going to use it and when we're going to not. Who has access, making sure that the technology and is not racially biased. And then who decides that? Well, right now, it's just haphazard. Uh, right now, it's just police. Pol- but it's also haphazard within the police. Let's let's do jaywalking. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, let's- yeah. And it's and it's, it's actually haphazard in other ways, which is where do we put the cameras? I mean, there's all kinds mm-hmm. of serendipity and, and idiosyncrasy mm-hmm. that goes. So into what, it. we're going to talk when we get back. Um, what we do about this, like, and then I want to hear about new technologies you're nervous about uh, of where it's going. We're here with Barry Friedman. He's the director of the Policing Project at NYU. We'll be back after this. We're here with Barry Friedman. He's the director of the Policing Project at NYU. He's a lawyer. He talks about the Constitution. So I want to stay with facial recognition for a second. Where is it going to go with these with these different laws that happen? Who who is the the final arbiter? Is there anybody, or who, or is it going to be state by state? We'll decide. And, and in Alabama, there'll be lots of cameras. In California, not so many. You know, I think ultimately we're going to have to have national regulation, maybe local also. So mm-hmm. let me just give you two examples. Okay. So one is, well, what about the data sets? You know, mm-hmm. facial recognition works because you take a picture of somebody and you compare it to a right. big data set. And right now what's happening is police departments and other agencies are collecting data sets. Some of them have driver's license data. Some of them have just people that they've booked. And we've got this haphazard collection of data sets. And they sets. were using driver's license Oh, yeah. Data. They're using everything. Right. Uh, everything they can get. Uh, and our, my view, which I, it would take me a little while to defend, is actually if we're going to do this, we should get everybody's picture in there. Like mm-hmm. otherwise, what you could do is you're going to buy a sample. You're going to get the people right. that the police picked up. But the only way so that mug we, books, it's like a supersized mug book. Exactly, that is right. exactly exactly what it is. Um, hugely biased, and the technology itself. Different questions also biased in terms of who can identify. But so if you're going to regulate data sets, whether it's around this or many other things, that may have to come from Congress because mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to have all this patchwork quilt around the country of different pieces of data sets that people are using. 
On the other hand, you know, let's say Congress passes a bill about facial recognition and says it can be used for X and Y but not Z, and here's the data set. I still think that, you know, Keokuk, Iowa or mm-hmm. Peru, Indiana ought to get to make the decision that they just don't want their police using it. Like, mm-hmm. that has to be a local choice. And so I think we need a complicated regulatory structure around this. Would there ever be a data of everybody's picture? It's, you know, passports. There's passport pictures. There's driver's license photos. The FBI there's has Facebook, a- which has most of the photos. of ev- That's the only organization that seems to have most people's pictures. Right. There's both private like Facebook, and then mm-hmm. there's all the DMVs, which mm-hmm. isn't everybody. Not everybody drives. Yeah, recently there was a controversy around people using police using DMV information or right. FBI using it. I FBI think. and agencies were going mm-hmm. to other states to their fusion centers and saying, mm-hmm. you know, can you check this against that and tell us who it is? And we've done some investigation at the Policing Project about this, and mm-hmm. in many places, completely unregulated, just mm-hmm. completely unregulated. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like, is that illegal to look at people's I, I don't want— Anybody using my picture in looking for a criminal, why would they do that? So, I, I'm not a criminal. Are you sure? Uh, so in some of the— uh, <laughs> Not that I know You of. might be by the end of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so in some of the jurisdictions, there's actually legislation where, you know, nobody was probably paying any attention. Right. But the bill said you well, could Well, why wouldn't the- they grab the data if they could? That's right. my feeling, unless they're stopped. And in other places, they just know. They've just turned it over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it's the Wild West. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, I mean, it just needs to stop. We need to regulate it. What is your thinking on driver's license data? These are most people who aren't criminals, necessarily. So this is complicated. So it's I'm gonna, needle in a haystack problem. Uh, yes, but I'm going to throw a crazy okay. argument at okay. you, okay? So, you know, it used to be that the way we regulated what the police did was we had warrants and probable mm-hmm. cause. And right. we went after people, and you could only go after them if you— if you yeah. You had a reason to go I've after them. I've watched Law and Order. Right? I know my law. Exactly. <laughs> and, if you, and if you don't do that, you got to be worried about going after people for discriminatory reasons, mm-hmm. arbitrary reasons, all kinds of bad reasons. And that's mm-hmm. how you controlled it. But police, that's old-style policing. That mm-hmm. isn't new-style policing. New-style policing is mass surveillance. We're taking pictures of everybody. We're looking at when you went through the easy pass. Mm-hmm. We're, and for new-style surveillance— Warrants aren't going to do you any good because— Because mm-hmm, they've already collected the data. They've got the data. Mm-hmm. And not only that, like, think—here's a simple example. Think about airport security. Mm-hmm. That's clearly a search under the Constitution, no question. Right. Anybody got probable cause and a warrant last time you went through airport? No. No. The protection is that everybody has to do it. And mm-hmm. so, in some paradoxical way, if we're going to do these things— It's fair for everyone to go through for lots of reasons, one of which is if I went to you and I said, hey, we're going to have a universal DNA database. What do you think of that? My guess is everybody go like, no way. Mm-hmm. But so what we're doing is surreptitiously creating DNA databases wherever we can kind of grab right. somebody's DNA. That can't make any sense. So interestingly, let me just get a shift into DNA. You know, obviously the famous case of the, the Golden State Killer was caught through DNA. Where are we with those laws? Because they, they exist, you know, even on, the, on a personal level, you know, people finding uh, donor parents, all kinds of things, like they, your dad is not your dad, those kind of things. But in policing, it becomes, on one hand, you're like, ah, oh, they caught him using DNA, but they caught him using DNA that wasn't the DNA they should have used. Yeah, this. I mean, this is why our fundamental mission at the Policing Project is democratic accountability. Mm-hmm. I mean, what you just did in a very short time is point out that there's some really hard questions. Mm-hmm. And what we're supposed to do with really hard questions is think about them. Right, and, and talk about them. Yeah, and we'll come to, like, really crappy and perfect solutions, but that's how democracy works. Well, nuance is lost, Barry, in the Twitter world. Just I, so you know, I, have not, I haven't, haven't noticed have that. You, noticed that? <laughs> have Nuan- noticed you can't have a nuanced <laughs> argument about everything. <laughs> haven't noticed that. But we're doing... Even worse than that right now, which is that it's just happening. So there are state laws around DNA databases. But, hey, what the hell with state law? Lots of 
localities and local police departments say, I know, but we can follow people into McDonald's and grab the, you know, container after they're done with it and get their DNA and put them in a database because we right. think they're a suspect. And there is a profusion mm-hmm. of these kind of individually held, individually run, completely unregulated DNA databases. Right, all over the place. All over which, the place. which are also not accurate necessarily. I'm, they may be or may not be, but it's just not regulated. And, and at the same time, there's all this DNA sort of in storage houses everywhere, which could help people find find criminals or let people off, get people off. You know, there's been a lot of movement in that in the in the Innocence Project and stuff like that. And DNA is probably a big part of that. Yeah, I mean, of think, getting people out of jail. Think about our our conversation is kind of rushed by like the ocean, and so right. it's license plate readers and DNA and facial recognition, and there's gate recognition coming mm-hmm. and iris scan recognition coming. Wait, gate recognition? Oh, oh at the, uh, when you're at the airport. When, when you're walking. Like, right. you know, what is the pattern of your walking? Oh, uh, gate. Oh, G-A-I-T. G-A-I-T, sorry. Right. Yes. Right, yeah. <laughs> we have gate recognition also, though. Right. Um, and so the question is, we have this world in which we could just have perfect surveillance if mm-hmm. that's what we wanted. I don't think we really want that. And that is why it's just imperative to stop and catch our breath and say, we got to think through this. Well, let me give the other argument because it is overall it's under surveillance. It's all a version of surveillance and tracking essentially. And eventually, people will have a chip in them. Will ha- everyone will have a chip like a dog? Like, I we'll edited be- myself to not say that to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but every that's where it goes. Yeah. Like right, like yeah. you're a pet, yeah. like kind of thing. Yeah. So you can be found yeah. at any point. Children and and uh, one of the arguments is, uh, I got nothing. To, I got nothing to hide. What do I care? You know, I get that all the time from people. What do I care if people, if Amazon echoes flying? I mean, I got nothing to say. What do I care if I get tracked here? I got, I didn't do nothing. I got an answer I give people all the time about Mm -hmm. that. I get that all the time, too. And I say, great, can I just have your uh, email password? Mm -hmm. And people kind of cringe, right? Because, yeah, they got nothing to hide. They didn't rob a bank and they didn't assault somebody. They sent a nasty email to their spouse or they admitted that they had some health ailment or they did something kind of embarrassing at work. I mean, we all live private lives in which if it was all public, we'd be just cringing and face palming mm-hmm. all the time. And mm-hmm. so it's just not true. People who say that are lying. I'll just give you one anecdote. Uh, Justice Scalia, who sometimes was of that view, uh, showed up at a law school and some professor had this little class project where they found everything they possibly could about him on the mm-hmm. Internet mm-hmm. and fronted him with it. And he was furious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because people need to have this zone of private lives, and this right. is the struggle we, we have. We did that with Eric Schmidt at Google, yes. remember? And, but he was serious because it was his house, and you know he does have some security challenges yeah. compared to other people. But we all have right. things. I, you know, I know your life is an open book, but I bet uh-huh. there's a couple of things you wouldn't want people reading the pages. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> My love of Top Gun? No, I just put it right out there. I put it out there, and people do what they will. I get roundly mocked for it, and I don't care. I love it. And I'm excited about the new one. Someone was like, oh, can I go with you to Top Gun? I go, no, the new one. I'm, I'm like, I'm going by myself. I'm a crazy Top Gun fan. I will it, go with you. It, it, good. Um, so uh, only people that love it can go. But what are you most uh, scared of? And also, in that regard, what are you most heartened about of, of the technologies coming? Um DNA's got to be it. I, I don't I, know. I, I, well, I don't know. I was with some friends over the break with DNA, and they were, you know, they kept discovering new relatives in their mm-hmm. email. So right. I think I find all that a little weird. You're not dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I have a cousin. Right. Um, I take each technology and, again, look at it one by one and say mm-hmm. there's something cool we could do with it, and there's some really bad stuff right. that could happen right. with it. And Very how Brad do we get, Smith, tools and weapons. That's what we're going to talk about today at mm-hmm. the law school, tools mm-hmm. and weapons. And so, and uh, I think that's the right approach. But is there something coming along that you're like, or something that you could imagine? I mean, I, I think it's already here. I, I don't, uh, I, I 
find facial recognition and license plate reader. I mean, just because I don't think people know this. Police cars have cameras on them Mm -hmm. that can sweep in the license plates across four lanes of traffic, and they pull in billions of them all day long, and then that all gets stored forever. So if somebody wants to know where you were over the last six months, we could know. Your cell phone also pings you. And your cell phone is pinging you at the same time. And and it's questionable of whether, you know, as anyone who listens to Serial or anything else, it doesn't know if it's really pinging in the right place. So it's— But close enough. Close enough. So, but there's no new, new thing that you're—like, I'm trying to think of some of the things that—the gate walking, the walking, how you—the walking style is fascinating to me. And I gather—I mean, I don't—I am not an expert here, Mm -hmm. but I gather that we'll have the technology to very quickly, you know, use DNA to know everybody that was just in the room, Mm -hmm. uh, the room where it happened. And so I find it all—I tend to find it creepy, a lot of it. But I do see the value in being able to use it wisely to make us safer, and so that's the trick. And being able to account for that, yes. whether it makes, whether or not it does. Because it seems to me that every government in history has overreached. If they could, if they have the ability to follow, they'll follow more. If they have even more data, they always overreach. And, you know, look, let's be fair, often out of good motives. I mean, I, I do think that many of the things Absolutely. that happened, you know, that Snowden revealed were people of good motive working at less than the salary they could have gotten in private industry who woke up every day saying, how are we going to keep people safe from another 9-11? And mm-hmm. I, I, I respect the people that do that and their motives. It's just that you cannot let them be the ones that are making these decisions by themselves without opening it up for us all to think about. So let's do some good practices for police to finish up and good practices for people. Like, for example, I have clear. I've had it for 100 years. I know when they come for the sweep, they're coming for Kara Swisher very easily because I've got my eyeballs out there, my fingerprints, um, you know, and and my Twitter. So I'm I'm screwed. (laughs) You're dead. I'm I'm dead. They're going to be like, that one. Let's get that one. Like, I'll be easily tracked. Talk about some good practices. Is right now, you know, in terms of relating to policing, what you should do to protect yourself. Yes. So we, you know, we offer a service where we, both with tech companies and with police departments, to go in and do basically an audit Mm -hmm. of what they're doing. What are the technologies? What are the concerns about the technologies? And the department be able to ought to be able to say, here's all our technologies, here's our written policy for every one of these technologies, that policy should be worried about privacy, about data retention, data acquisition, and so there's a template for what Mm -hmm. they all should be doing. And state legislatures, and I do think this is a big responsibility for state legislatures that they're mostly not performing, Mm -hmm. could make that the law. They could make that the rule that departments have to follow this set of principles about acquiring technologies. They could even make statewide rules. And so Mm -hmm. that is what is shockingly absent from our world that just needs to change as soon as possible. Is that states start to make just just rules of the road, yeah, guardrails, guardrails, and 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 they're not again, they're not, you know, it may make sense to keep the data for a day or thirty days, and then we should have a wave knowing that it's being disposed of. Right, and then technology companies, what should they be doing? Well, so we've done some audits of technology companies. We have a public report on Shotspotter. We're talking to some other companies, and they ought to be doing the same thing. They ought to be thinking about what are they producing, how's it being used, how can they design it so that it's not abused. Are they thinking, like I mentioned, that the customer is the community using mm-hmm. it? And they should be looking that's at their— a smart, That's really smart. That's a really—I'm going to use that. You made my that. day so happy. No, but it is because I'm try, I try to articulate them. The, the way I do it is like when I'm in these groups, because I often go to companies to talk about this because they think I'm just a crank sometimes. And then they're like, maybe she's actually being thoughtful about things. One was having people in the room that are affected when you're designing something. And the other is I always say, you know, imagine your product a Black Mirror episode and then don't make it. Yeah. Or, or at least imagine the Black Mirror version of it, or where where it goes in a, goes off the rails. Even if it would never happen, think be anticipatory of what the worst case scenario is. Yeah, and as you know better than 
really anybody on the planet, that that's not the ethic they, in the company. No, they don't, because no. you're a bummer. When, you're, you're a bummer. A total bummer. When, no, you're a bummer. I've been yeah. called, I'm like, I'm not a bummer, I'm a realist yeah. of how people are using it. And I think the affected, in the in the absence of that, when, when some things happen, like around the... Um, the, the use by criminals of technologies is really – that's a whole nother show. Um, but ha, like for even just the shooter in, in New Zealand, like they should have known someone was going to do that. Like that wasn't the – it wasn't the hardest, most creative idea that someone was going to use it. Um, and you don't even have to be a negative person to have that – come to that conclusion. All right. Lastly, what about citizens? What can they do? Like wh- they're not protected at all. Like they can grab any piece of anything from you. I mean, it's not China, and we always say, oh, we're not like China. I'm like, uh, we're not unlike China, you know. Right, right. we could be like China. We have a lot of words that we shouldn't be like China. I I think, you know, everybody needs to be asking the question, what's the government doing? And I think we're just, I I have an academic article I'm writing about this, but why we all just kind of defer to the police as though Mm -hmm. they they know everything instead of asking the question. Or tech companies. Yeah, yeah, well, yes, And, and instead of saying, what are the rules? I mean, I come back to the same thing all the time, so I'm boring. Mm-hmm. But I just think that we need to get democracy working in this space, that this has all rushed past us very, very quickly. We didn't stop and think, you're right, we're not going to stop. But we could catch our breath and we could start to put guardrails in place. I, I like to believe, going back to my metaphor, that the cows are out in the field and need to get into the barn, but it's not toothpaste into the tube. It is not impossible to get this back under control, but it's not going to happen unless people demand that it happen. And one last question about racial profiling, because it, it just it takes that to a new level uh, on the bias. Has the technology improved? It, it certainly has it in the consumer products, no, the camera products. I'm actually going to ask Brad Smith this question <laughs> later today because I'm very curious. I, I, I have to believe that eventually technology solves the problem of the fact that, for example, facial recognition misidentifies people of color and women, much mm-hmm. less than white men. I have to believe it's going to be solved. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we got into the situation because the tech companies themselves are far too white and male. Homogeneous, and just, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I don't know the answer to when that gets solved, but I'm, I'm curious myself. And pressing tech companies for that. It seems like they do it in their consumer products. They do it in everything. Yeah. And, and in the products they make, they're making them for a constituency, which is themselves in a lot of ways. And I think they don't think... They, I've always said the reason Twitter is unsa- has been unsafe is because the people who originally designed it never have been unsafe. So they don't even understand the concept. That is exactly right. And I think, you know, I mean, one answer that I have and that the Axon board took this position, which was we don't even have to have the conversation about putting facial recognition on body cameras until it's sufficiently accurate and not racially biased. Mm -hmm. So come back and talk to us again when you fix that problem. And if we took that perspective, that would force the tech companies to at least get the tech to that point. Mm -hmm. And last question, your worst case scenario of what could happen is nothing, essentially, that we just, that these technologies just get, especially around DNA and everything else, and then just mistakes will happen just the way we have people on death row that did not do the crimes. Yeah, but so like I say in my book, Unwarranted, that's one worst thing, that we get the wrong people. The worst thing with the tech is actually that it's accurate, mm-hmm. which is that we do nothing, and then we have all this huge tracking mechanism, and the government starts to make use of it. Mm-hmm. That's the worst thing. And then we have the wrong government. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and we know where that goes. And anyway, Barry, this is so fascinating. I, you're coming back on. We're going to talk about uh, lots of different things coming uh, forward. And we didn't even get to drones. We didn't even get to drones. Zzz, drones. We did not get to drones. <laughs> <laughs> drones. 
It was a pleasure, Kara. Man, drones. Anyway, thank you for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. Executive producer is Erica Anderson at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Barry, where can people find you and and the Policing Project online? We're Mm policingproject.org, and we're at Policing Project on Twitter, and we would love to hear from you. Absolutely. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. 